We're in a series called The New You, um, uh, and in this series, we're not proposing, it'd be easy to think that because it's New Year, you know, New Year's resolutions and all, we're not proposing that you become a new you, right? Um, but that you would, in fact, live like the new you that you have, that's already been created if, in fact, you are a Christian or a follower of Jesus, right? See, all throughout Scripture, the New Testament tells us that if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, then you are a new creation. He's made you new. You've been given a new nature. You've been born again into a new life. But because there's a part of us that still hasn't been made new, our flesh, our, you know, there's, we haven't been fully redeemed yet. We won't until we get to heaven. Because there's still a part of us that still hasn't been made new yet. We're, we have to contend with our flesh, right? There's, there, and there's many times that we would just rather live like the old us, right? Just be honest, right? Um, and it's, I mean, it's easier to live like the old you, uh, living like the old you um, kind of flows with the current of culture. And living like the old you serves you, right? And so we want to do that sometimes. But living like the old you creates a problem with your relationship with God. See, Jesus died to set us free from the bondage of sin. Jesus died to restore our relationship to our Father God. He died to set us free from the bondage of the law where we had to earn our way back to him. And so when you choose to live like the old you, you're basically saying no to the freedom that Jesus bought you, and and you're putting yourself back in bondage. You're making that choice to go back into bondage. And that's why scripture exhorts us on multiple occasions not to be enslaved again by a yoke of bondage. And when you choose to live like the old you, you sort of disconnect yourself from your relationship with God and then find yourself trying to earn your way back to him, which we've all discovered doesn't work. You can't earn what you've already been given. Um, And that's why scripture implores us many times to put off the old you and put on the new you in the likeness of Jesus, which is exactly what this series is about, right? And the course that we're taking through this is a chapter-by-chapter study of the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is actually a letter that Paul wrote to some new believers in the city of Ephesus. And he, in it, he beautifully describes the, the new life that we have in Christ and encourages, encourages us to live in that life, not the old way that we used to. So last week we looked at chapter 1, and today we're going to be in chapter 2. And chapter 2 is an interesting chapter um, because... It's kind of in two parts. The first half, which is uh, the first ten verses, um, basically he describes the new you contrasted by the old you. And in the second half of of the chapter, he basically restates everything he said in the first half, but he does it within the context of God's history with the Jewish people. Okay? So um, what we're going to do is just focus on the first half, just to save time. And he begins by reminding them where they came from. Okay? Ephesians 2, beginning with verse 1. You were once dead because of your disobedience and many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, 
the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God who is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. So God can point to all of us in future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us and sh- as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Have you ever been in a a conversation with someone who doesn't know Jesus or doesn't follow Jesus, a a non-Christian, and you say something about how Jesus saves or Jesus is a savior and they sort of raise the objection, Savior, save me from what, right? I mean, the center of our message is, is that Jesus saves, and, and we've all been on the planet long enough to see some sort of bumper sticker or billboard or neon sign that says, Jesus saves. But the truth is, we live in a world where people really go, from what? Right? I mean, I've got a good job. Uh, I'm a good person. I'm faithful to my spouse. I'm loyal to my friends. What is Jesus saving me from? But in this chapter, before Paul gets to the new you, he wants to deliberately and descriptively remind you of the old you. And to be pretty honest, it's, it's a pretty bleak picture. He says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins. So the first point is that the old you was dead. Now some of you have been in church so long and you know your Bible so well that this word dead doesn't really conjure up any emotion for you and you think, yeah, of course I was dead, right? But most people would say, "Uh, excuse me, I'm not dead, right? I'm walking around, I'm breathing, I'm alive. I'm not dead. This doesn't make any sense. Paul says, no, the old you was dead. Now, can I just say this about um, following Jesus? The message we preach is not a message of good to great, right? Jesus did not come to the planet to make good people great or bad people better, right? He didn't even come... um, I mean, this is not an improvement plan. This is not a remodel. This is from death to life. I mean, the testimony of a Christian is not, yeah, I was an okay person, but Jesus came along, put a gold cross around my neck, and he made me a little bit better. 
right? You know, now I drive the speed limit. Um, I pay my taxes. I'm a respectable employee. I mean, Jesus has kind of improved me. No, that's not our testimony. That's not the message we preach. The message is, I was dead, now I'm alive. And that's what Jesus does. He takes what was once dead, and he makes it alive. But dead in what sense? That we were dead means that, we were, that sin separated us from God. To be dead in the spiritual sense, which is what he's talking about here, is to be separated and desensitized to the things of God and to God himself, right? He's describing your internal state, that you were dead spiritually. Paul's saying before Jesus, you were dead. You were spiritually dead, which is to say you were incapable of connecting with your creator. You have no feeling for God. You have no desire for God. You have no passion for God. Paul says that's the old you. But it gets worse, I'm afraid. He says you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, or some versions say the course of this world. The old you used to follow the ways of this world. The NIV puts it this way. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. He's saying, this is where you've come from, right? Now remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Most um, people in Ephesus who were receiving this letter from Paul had come out of a religion that worshipped a false god by the name of Diana. And that religion, like every other man-made religion, um, ruled and controlled people from fear, right? And the fear was, for her, like, if you didn't follow her perfectly, you were going to be cursed, right? And according to the book of Acts, Apollos, a guy named Apollos, he was a Christian, he goes to Ephesus, and he goes and starts preaching the love of Jesus for the first time. And these people look at the fear that comes from following Diana, and they compare it to the love of Jesus, and they think, Diana, Jesus, Diana, Jesus, free grace, um, mercy, love, forgiveness. I think I'll choose Jesus, right? Um, but he's writing to tell them, this is not just a transfer from a fake God to a real God. It's not even a transfer from a bad God to a good God. This is literally death to life. He says, you were following the ways of this world, which is to say you were following in the flow or the current of culture. And one of the hallmarks of the ways of the world is that it makes bad things look good and good things look strange. Right? The ways of the world make sin look attractive and righteousness look completely illogical. What? You are a virgin? How old are you? Wait, you didn't test the waters before you got married? You didn't take her for a test drive before you got married? I mean, what if you're not sexually compatible? That's crazy. In following the current of culture, keeping yourself for someone to give yourself as a gift to them, it's like complete craziness. Right? And I understand, you know, we all have weaknesses and shortcomings, and I'm not here to 
make anyone feel bad if you didn't wait for marriage. That's not my point. My point is how strange culture thinks it is. It's just indicative of the course of this world. And we all used to follow the course of this world. But it gets worse. He says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, following the course of this world, obeying the devil, who is the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Whoa, 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 Paul. I'm just saying, you know, Diana wasn't cool for me anymore, so I just kind of switched to Jesus instead. What are you telling me? I'm telling you that the devil was influencing your life. That's what he's saying to them. The old you was influenced by the devil. See, unfortunately, the devil doesn't come like your local neighborhood devil dressed in red lycra and a pitchfork, right? (laughs) He doesn't knock on your door and say, hi, I'm the devil. Um, I'd like to influence you just a little bit today, right? What bad thing that, what bad thing can you do that feels good that I can help you with, right? You know what I mean? No, he doesn't do that, right? But he is at work influencing your thinking and your decisions, And the devil works the same way he's always worked. You can look in Genesis chapter 3 to see how he deceived Eve. He threw thoughts, ideas, and suggestions at her, questioning the goodness of God, and it it tempted her to disobey God, right? Um, And you know what? He doesn't have any new tricks. He works the exact same way. You can also look in um, the gospel where Jesus was tempted, devil worked the same way. He threw thoughts, ideas, and suggestions at Jesus trying to tempt him. But how did Jesus combat him? He combated with the word of God, right? He knew what the word said. He says, no, that's not what it says. This is what it says, right? And so he doesn't have any new tricks. He uses your desires to tempt you to do what you should not do. That's how he works. Then he goes on in verse 3. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. He's like, this is the old you. You were dead to God, following cultural trends. The devil himself had influence on you, and your decision-making was centered around what feels good. Right? You, the old you followed the desires and impulses of your sinful nature. And the culture says, how can it be so wrong when it feels so right, right? But you're just led around by your desires. And there's a name for that, by the way. It's called instincts, right? It's what makes your dog sniff another dog. You're like, come on, little dog, get your nose out of there. It's weird, right? It's called instinct, (laughs) You just kind of do what you feel like doing, right? You just did what felt good and served you. And you might say, well, what's so wrong with that, right? Look, if, if living like that was improving life on planet Earth, where do I sign up? Seriously, right? 
But can we just all come together, regardless of where we're at in our spiritual journey, can we all just agree it's not working? Right? The more we do what we just feel like doing, the more people get hurt. The more we do what we just feel like doing, the more hollow and empty we feel inside. The more we do with what, you know, what we want to do with whom we want to do it, the more our existence degenerates. It's why marriages end in divorce. It's why families are torn apart. It's why people's lives have been destroyed by addiction. It's why you don't have enough money to pay your bills. It's why people are drowning in debt. It's why our prisons are overflowing. It's not working. Some of the dumbest things I've done was out of instinct and impulse. Oh, yeah, okay. All right. Did I give you that last point? Yes. Because God is just, something must be done about our sin. The penalty must be paid. We've missed his mark. Nothing wrong with the mark. It's us, right? Scripture says there has to be justice. There, something's got to be done. Some, the price has to be paid for your sin, which exposes us to God's judgment and wrath. And for those who say, what do I need to be saved from? This is what you need to be saved from, right? This is what we were saved from. You were spiritually dead, following the current of culture. The devil himself had influence on you. Your decision-making was all about what feels good. And as a result, you were under the wrath of God. So that's the old you. Let's take a look now at the, at the new you. Verse 4 begins with this monumental transition that says, but God. He's given us all the bad news and he says, but God. That's a good but right there, right? But God. Can we just stop for a minute and have a praise break? Seriously, but God. I mean, I'm so glad it doesn't say, but you, or but me. The reason we gather here and worship God is because you did not save yourself. I did not save myself. God butted in and saved you and me. And Paul clearly wants to communicate to the Ephesians that it was God who butted in. It was God's choosing. It was God's doing. He took the old you and made you the new you. But God is so rich in mercy. You know what mercy is? Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Which tells me that God is even generous when he withholds things. Right? God isn't just generous when he gives. God is generous when he doesn't give what we deserve. God is rich in mercy. And why is he rich in mercy? Because he loves us so much. God extended mercy to us because he loves us. The uh, New Revised Standard Version puts verse 4 this way. But God who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us. This is where the new you begins. 
But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. That's the description of the new you right there. The new you is made alive together with Christ. But interestingly enough, that's not how many of us describe ourselves when someone asks if you're a Christian, right? Because you're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Attend church. Read my Bible. Don't cuss most weekends. Um, Nice to people, right? Wear a gold cross. I mean, think of all the things that we have hung our hat on as Christians over the centuries. But in this description of the new you, notice Paul doesn't say, here's the things you got to do, here's the things you got to quit doing, here's the performance of the new you. You know what defines the new you? You were dead, but now you're alive. You were dead to God, now you're alive to him. You know how we can tell if you're a Christian? Because you've been made alive to God. Right? You're now sensitized to the things of God. You're sensitive to his nudging and his prompting and his leading. Where you used to flow in the current of culture and seeking to your own fleshly desires, you now seek to follow Jesus. The new you has been given the Holy Spirit who resides now in your heart, leading you and guiding you. He speaks to you on the inside. And there'll be moments when inexplicably you feel God compelling you to go here or do this or say that or give this. And then when you first experience, you're like, whoa, what is going on? That's the new you who's been sensitized. You're now aware and alive to God and he is talking to you. And proof that you are new in Christ isn't first your performance. That comes later as you seek to please him and follow him. It is your sensitivity to God. And friends, that should be celebrated. Right? Because there was a day when you couldn't care less about God. There was a day when you were indifferent. There was a day when you were in darkness. There was a day when you were a slave to your urges and desires. You had no choice. But that day is gone if you're a follower of Jesus. You've been made alive. You're keenly aware of your creator. He goes on in verse 6. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. See, when God saved you, he did something that only God can do. The new you is somehow miraculously united with Christ. I don't know how he does it. It's way beyond us, right? Somehow he unites our spirits with Christ. The old you died with Jesus on the cross. The new you is made alive with Jesus. 
The new you is raised with Jesus when he was raised. The new you is seated with him in heavenly realms. What that means is when God looks at you, what he sees is righteousness. He doesn't see the old you. He sees the new you, who you are in Christ. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. Because it's not because of anything we did, right? It's because of everything Jesus did. It means you have to be seated in the heavenly realms with him. means you have the power and authority of God behind us. So we are no longer subject to the influence of the devil. Right? You are free to live. You can say no to him, just like Jesus said no when he was tempted. We are free to live the way God designed us to live. Being seated with Christ in the heavenly realms also is why Paul was able to say back in chapter 1 that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. What are those spiritual blessings? Well, just to name a few, we have never-ending, unconditional love from our Father God. Right? He has also given us the ability to share that unconditional love with other people. We have that ability now. We have that same unconditional love deposited in our heart with which we can love others with. We have peace that passes all understanding. When your circumstances say you should be freaking out, you can have peace. We can have joy like a river. We can have, I mean, we have hope that never fades. We have faith that can move mountains. And we've been given spiritual gifts that will never be revoked. Spiritual callings that will never be revoked. And we have salvation that can never be taken from us. Which gives us assurance. It gives us assurance that when we die, we know exactly where we're going. We have nothing to fear ever again. That's the new you. Right? And when did all this take place? When did the saving actually take place? Look at verse 8. God saved you by his grace when you believed. Everybody say, when I believed. You became new, you become new when you believe. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for it, he says. It is a gift from God. You can't take credit for the fact that once you were dead and now you're alive. Right? You can't take credit for the fact that you once were under the wrath of God and now you're not. You can't, you didn't, I mean, you did not go to the cross and pay for your sin. Jesus did that for you. And, and the believing didn't save you, right? Let's get that straight. The believing did not save you, right? God saved us. He did what only he could do. Jesus paid the price that only he could pay. And all we did is believe that his sacrifice is enough for me. The believing was simply the entry point for God to apply the blood of Jesus to your life. 
See, God doesn't kick down the door of our hearts and say, you're a Christian now. He doesn't do that. He draws us. He convicts us. He woos us. He knocks on the door. We have to open it to him. We have to surrender and believe that this is true. The believing was when you received the free gift. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. This is the new you. And I know for some of you, most of this information is nothing new. But as I said in the beginning of the series, we have to rehearse it. We have to remember it. We have to keep remembering that we are new creations in Christ. And we don't have to live like the old us. We don't have to follow the desires of our flesh. We don't have to to yield to the influence of of temptation. Um, Because it's so easy to lose sight of this reality. It's so easy to lose sight that we are new creations in Christ and just kind of slip back into the habits of the old you. So we need to continually remind ourselves of this. But for others of you, this might be new information. You might have never heard this before. You may be here this morning, this morning knowing that you've never really experienced life as a new creation. Maybe because you've just played the religious game or whatever, but you've never experienced that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you made us new. Thank you, God, that you rescued us, that you delivered us, that you saved us. I thank you, God, for your word that tells us, that gives us this picture of what we were saved from. And I thank you for this beautiful picture of what we are saved to. We are new. I thank you, God, that you did what only you could do and united us with Christ somehow. That when he died on the cross, the old us died with him. That when he was raised from the dead, we were raised with him to newness of life. That when he was seated in heavenly realms, we are seated with him because it is finished. There's no other work to be done for us. He did it all. It was complete. And we have assurance of our salvation. God, I thank you.